Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. We look at ways to help clean up the planet by turning waste into energy. Now, corn is one of America's biggest crops, but it's incredibly wasteful. So how can it be made to help clean the planet at the same time? We also find out about the ways to best design a wind turbine farm, so it boosts itself up and increases its efficiency. The United States exports an awful lot to the rest of the world, whether it be its political values, its media through its large media companies, or maybe even all of its Silicon Valley technology. One of the biggest things that the United States does, though, is produce corn, and an awful lot of it. Around 1 billion metric tonnes of corn produced each year. At least that's what they produced in 2018-19. This is a crazy amount of corn. It's a massive crop. Now, they only export around 14% of it. So even though they make huge amounts of this product, corn, and they ship it out to 73 different countries. Because they produce so much of it, they can't actually get anywhere to sell it. And it just gets used in the United States in so many products. So while they may only be directly exporting 14% of their corn, any of their food products in some way has been touched by corn. And not just things in the food manufacturing chain as well. As Swift on Security often points out, a lot of things in the United States are produced with corn, whether you like it or not. In fact, most of the food has corn in it somewhere, or was produced using corn feedstock, was transported in a corn-based container, or has had corn-based additives added to it. Or maybe it's even the corn-based fuel. Transport all of that produce, away from the farms, to the supermarkets and to your dinner plate. Now, the thing about corn is, it's America's top agricultural crop, but it's one of the most wasteful. And the reason is because about half the harvest when you harvest corn just gets left as waste. Because when you harvest the corn cob, you leave behind the stalks, leaves, husks. Even a large portion of the cob is often left as well. Especially if you strip all the kernels off. Now, they give this leftovers, this waste product, a name. It's called corn stover. And... There's not many uses for this, at least that they've determined, aside from literally just burning it. So researchers from the University of California, Riverside, have been investigating how to make an efficient way of just getting that corn stover back into the economy by turning it into something that actually is contributing and a value added to the process, rather than just burning it like you would any other rubbish in a waste-to-energy conversion plant. Now, this research was published in the paper American Chemical Society's Omega Journal, and lead author was Mark Gale. Other authors included Tu Nguyen, Marissa Moreno, Candice Leslie, and Gilead Abuldad Aziz. Now, Candice Leslie Abdulaziz is the Assistant Professor of Chemical and Environmental Engineering at UC Riverside, and they coordinated this entire study, which was about finding a way to turn this corn stover, this leftover product from the corn production process, and make it into something useful, something that adds value to the world more than just being a food product. As we talked about, one of the main uses for corn stover at the moment is literally just burning it. 
So if you're going to burn it, you may be producing charcoal or charred biological material. Now, the thing is, activated charcoal, which is a certain type of charred biological material, it can be treated to create millions of microscopic pores. Now, that starts to have some pretty handy applications, especially well outside of the energy creation. You see, when you create activated charcoal, you create moons of microscopic pores all along the material. Have more pores means you have way more surface area and you can absorb a lot more. Now, the thing is, more pores means more chances for acting like a filter. And activated carbon is often used for creating filters for everything removing VOCs, volatile organic compounds from the air, and say like a paint spraying booth, or to helping keep your air clean and safe. That's one use of activated carbon, but you can also use it to filter water just as well. And that's exactly what the researchers took their eyes to. Because this is a high value material. That's a pretty good thing to make out of waste. They did this by taking the charred corn stover and they found that when they processed it with a technique called hydrothermal carbonization, or another way of putting it is just squeezing hot compressed water through and at that charred, that burnt crisped corn stover, you get at the end result of that activated carbon. Now, what they found is when they did this to the corn stover, they made a really, really efficient filter. A really efficient filter that was really well suited to filtering out the water pollutant, vanillin, amongst many others that they tried. It absorbed around 98% of that water pollutant, which is a pretty good efficiency ratio. And the reason why is the corn stover had a large surface area and bigger pores, which meant that that activated carbon could trap and absorb way more vanillin, the pollutant, than it would have with using a different medium for this activated carbon. Now, this is great because what they've done here is turn a waste byproduct and turn it into a product that can actually help make the world a cleaner place by cleaning up our water and getting rid of industrial pollutants. This is a great application, as Professor Abdulaziz points out, to change the mindset of engineers. Abdulaziz states, I believe that as engineers, we should take the lead in creating approaches that convert waste into high-value materials, fuels and chemicals, that create new value streams and eliminate the environmental harm. That comes from today's take, make, dispose model. And in this case, the team of researchers have shown that you can take waste, make something new with it, and use it to dispose and eliminate waste and byproducts of other industrial processes. So instead of just consuming, you're actually taking your waste and making a product that eliminates even more waste from other people's products. It's a great way to make our planet cleaner. And a great paper published in American Chemical Society's journal, Omega. Lead author was Mark Gale, and a large range of collaborators from the University of California, Riverside. As more and more countries set ambitious net zero goals by different dates, obviously in Australia we are currently lagging behind the current trends to push build 2030 or 2035. And one of the things that will need to happen to enable that is a more rapid transition to renewables. A key one, of course, if you've got the right geography for it, is wind power. And the world needs to be installing 
basically three times faster the amount of current growth wind turbines to really reach those net zero targets. And that's important for many reasons. It also poses a lot of engineering challenges because the design of a wind turbine might seem like something simple, like a pinwheel or a windmill, something that's an established piece of technology. But when you want to generate a large amount of energy, you need really big wind turbines. And you need not one, but hundreds working together in a large wind farm. Now, wind farms, though, create and change the dynamic of the wind in that region as well. So siting a wind farm, designing the arrangement of the towers that works best with the geography as well as with each other, is an incredibly complicated piece of engineering. Lots of research, lots of modeling, lots of computational mechanics. My hat goes off to the aerospace engineers and fluid mechanics modelers who designed wind farms because they are doing some great work to change literally the landscape and the airscape around these wind farms to maximize the efficiency. But you know, it also is important to design the wind turbine itself. And you may have seen a couple of different designs. When you think of a wind farm and a wind turbine, you're probably thinking of the three propeller horizontal wind turbine, the one that spins with like a propeller plane. And that is a pretty familiar image, but it's not the only type of wind turbine out there. There are also vertical wind turbines, which instead of spinning in the horizontal plane, they spin around a vertical axis. These are really small, so they tend not to have as much bang for your buck, i.e. they don't produce as much energy as the horizontal ones, mostly because they don't get as much force, but they have advantages like being small and compact. You can squeeze them in in lots of different places, and they have a really defined range of motion, which is helpful might put them along the middle of a freeway, for example. So when you want to generate gigawatts of electricity, well, typically most wind farms use these horizontal turbines. But research from Oxford Brookes University, published in the journal Renewable Energy, tries to outline a new approach and the benefits of vertical wind turbines and how they can work together rather than fighting against each other to improve the overall efficiency in a large and complex site. Now, authors on this paper include Joachim Teufegaard Hansen, along with Dr. Mahak Mahak and Professor Jakovos Tazinikis. Now, this team were looking at the way in which horizontal wind turbines and vertical wind turbines could be used and deployed in large-scale installations. Now, vertical wind turbines aren't often used in these large scales, so they simulated. What would happen if you did? And are there trade-offs and advantages for each type? And they found some pretty interesting things. Now, what they saw is that when you put in grid formation these vertical wind turbines, they start to get a boosting effect on one another. And that's because even a pair, two pairs of standalone vertical wind turbines can boost, uplift, each other's efficiency and performance by around 15%. This is pretty interesting, but it's to do with the way in which the wind turbines push or move the air around each other and actually help each other out. Now, what normally happens in, say, a horizontal wind turbine flow is you design your whole farm to make sure that you can minimize turbulence generated by the turbines themselves cutting through the air. The turbines as they spin, particularly in the front of that wind farm, well, it can generate 
turbulence that will then impact the efficiency of the turbines behind them or further away in that farm. Much in the same way as you can slipstream behind a car. Two cars, one car bears all the brunt of the drag and the others hide behind it. In wind turbines, it's like the opposite. The lead turbine gets the clean air, the smooth wind that it can be powered by. But the subsequent turbines, well, they're just swimming in the wake of that big turbine and they get jostled around. And whilst they still get to blow and generate electricity, they're not as efficient. Now, that back row, they're generating around 25 to 30% of that, all that kinetic energy of the wind into electricity. In the front row, it's much higher, almost about half. So that means you have a huge degradation in the efficiency performance. So you really want to get the most for your turbines. And to minimize the turbulence and minimize that downstream impact, you have to design your horizontal wind turbine farm really carefully to make sure you don't end up with that turbine turbulence totaling out all of your efficiency for your large-scale installation. What they saw if you did the same approach with vertical wind turbines, well, they can be a lot close together. And that means you can have a higher density of turbine per meter squared, which is pretty good because then you can have lots and lots of turbines. Maybe they're slightly smaller, but they're still generating a similar amount of electricity. Smaller means easier for maintenance. And if one goes down, it doesn't bring down or severely impact the tire generating capacity of a farm. Now, this is a pretty comprehensive mathematical analysis study. Like with most things with modeling anything like fluid flow and dynamics, you need thousands, 11,500 to be precise, of computer simulation hours dedicated to trying to crack and solve these problems. And by doing this and considering all the wind angles, the array angles, the direction of rotation, the turbine spacing, the number of rotors, adding all these together, trying all these different variables, trying all the different turbine types and comparing them to each other. What they showed is that basically for a similar number of vertical wind turbines, you could get a better efficiency because you get a better layout, tighter density spacing and could be easier to install. Basically trying to maximize your overall efficiency and power output as well as you know cost. So that was a very interesting application of mathematical modeling to help solve and get a better idea about what strategy may work best for different types of wind farm installations. Now, wind power is incredibly important and will be important for the rise of renewables in the coming decade. So this paper published in the journal Renewable Energy outlines a new approach to take to wind turbine farm design that is more collaborative and cooperative in terms of using vertical wind turbines that boost each other's performance rather than acting as a drag on the fellow wind turbines around them. The paper was published in Renewable Energy in April, and lead authors was Joachim Dofgaard Hansen, along with Mahak and Sadnikas. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. For more efficient wind turbine farms that work together in vertical style, and ways to turn corn waste into cleaning filtration products. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.